Morning, friends. Hey, Linda. It's nice to see Miss Shirley Wandajum with us today. I told Shirley, I said, all the time of the beautiful weather, she hasn't been in here. The lousiest day of the year, here comes Shirley. So maybe what we should do is pray for lousy weather. It's so good to see you this morning. As we begin, let me encourage you to do what I've often done in the past. It is so significant, and all of us know this, and probably all of us have done it. Personal testimony of what God is doing, what he's done for me, what I've seen him do, you know, is one of the most powerful instruments that the Holy Spirit uses for the building of the church. Amen? Personal testimonies. And so I want to encourage you, if you have been ministered to in this class, not by me, hopefully you understand that by now, but if you've been ministered to in this class by the Holy Spirit, call your friends. Those whom you know have been here, even those who haven't been here, and say, come to class. Come to class. Come to church at what time do we start now? <laughs> Nine o'clock. I want to say 10 o'clock. We need to be a people who send out emails and texts and phone calls to say, come, come, come. And if the person cannot come, and there are reasons why people cannot come, listen online, follow up. Because we want to be God's people who are built up in the Spirit and by the Spirit for the purpose of the glory of God. Amen? So that, that's a free advertisement. That's just not, you don't have to give extra money for that or whatever. Well, We've begun to look at God's extra-Trinitarian love as we are using Galatians 5, to 23, which describes in a particular way how he communicates this love to us. There, there are many passages in the Bible that we could refer to, but David took three weeks to delineate, talk about, the passage of love. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to the first couple of words in verse 8. He already has done that, so we won't refer to those words, although one or two may be repeated. And so the basis of our understanding of what God does in relation to imparting his personal intrinsic, you know, that love which is himself to us, we're going to be using Galatians 22 to 25, verse 5, 22 to 23. And hopefully what this does is encourage us to remember these verses much more maybe than we have and to see them in a way I hope that is more applicable and more meaningful than maybe what we've seen before. So remember the last lesson we looked at the two basic truths of the beginning phrase of that chapter 5. 
verse 22. <clears throat> Remember how it begins. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we talked about the two fundamental truths that are communicated in those words. Those seven, those, if I don't use the word but, I think there are seven words. And we need to be very careful when we look at Scripture not to go too quickly past certain parts of it or even any part of it because we lose significant information. And so rather than getting the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind, you know, let's slow down and look at each of the phrases and each of the words to determine what is the Holy Spirit saying to us. And so you remember, we learned this from that, passage, that, those, that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Remember what we learned last week. And it's highly, highly, critically significant to know this. Because if we don't know this, and if our understanding and teaching and learning is not set on the right basis, what's going to happen to it? It's going to crumble. It won't work. It will be frustrating. We won't receive from God and experience from him what he wants to give us. So what are the two foundational stones, if you would, that we discussed last week concerning the fruit of the Spirit is love? What is the primary foundational root? The Spirit Everything we're learning in Galatians, and we're only talking, we're bringing our conversation down to these verses, but it is applicable across the board. Everything is as a consequence of two things in our lives. The Spirit, right? Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot know God. We cannot understand God. We cannot live out the things of God. The love of God has no part in us at all apart from the Holy Spirit. So we learn what? That the Holy Spirit is the source and the power and the purpose of the love of God. Remember that? He's the source. So the Spirit himself is the activity and the reality and the function and the experience and the effect of God's love in us. He himself is the reality of God's love. Just as in the incarnation, we see God's love in a human being, correct? Now, God's love is in us by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love of God in us. Do we see that? And secondly, how does this happen? Because he imparts to us or he implants in us what? We all here last week? The nature of Jesus' love. The nature of Jesus' love. The Holy Spirit is the source of the love. He himself is the love of God. And how is he himself implanted? How does he communicate or implant this love in us? He gives us a new nature. He gives us the very nature of of Jesus' own love. And what is the nature of Jesus' love? It is the love that the Lord Jesus has for the Father 
and the love that the Father has for the Lord Jesus. It is God's intra-Trinitarian love. It is a love that exists within God himself among the three persons of the Trinity. Now, we must make sure we understand this. That's the foundation. The Holy Spirit is the source, is the power, is the purpose of God's love. And the, if you would, the mechanics of imparting that to us is giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us himself to be the new nature. He gives us himself who in us, he himself becomes the very literal love of God the very literal love that we see expressed by the Son of God in the man, Jesus Christ. Now, why do I insist on that? Because we do not want to disconnect God's love from God. We do not want to make it a distinct something that the Holy Spirit does without understanding it is the something who the Holy Spirit is. He does it, why? Because he is the love of God in us. Do we understand that? We must make sure we get that. And the new nature we have in us is the very life of the Holy Spirit in us who brings about the reality of the very life of the Son of God. So we have Christ himself, the Son of God himself, who is eternally incarnate in the risen, exalted man, Jesus Christ. We have him himself. We have him who is love, God is love, living and abiding in our hearts by the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to chop God up into three separate divine persons distinct but not separate okay now do we see that so we saw that the holy spirit is the power of god in us remember we talked about acts 1 8 you shall receive what power when the holy spirit comes upon you he is the source of god's love romans 5 5 for the love of god has been poured into our hearts by the holy spirit who's been given to us and the purpose of the holy spirit is seen in john 15 26 which is what jesus says when the spirit comes he will testify about me so why have we been given the holy spirit we've been given the holy spirit as the person and presence and power of god himself to manifest the reality of the son of god to manifest the love of God, which is the manifestation of the Son of God, to manifest the Son of God, which is the manifestation of the love of God. Because you see, the love of God and the Son of God are synonymous as to the nature. So why does the Holy, is the Holy Spirit given to us? 1526. I think, I don't know what is the most important verse about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. I, I don't know those things. But I do know this, that John 15, 26 is absolutely one of the most fundamentally significant scriptures, statements concerning the Holy Spirit. So why were we given the Holy Spirit? 
to save us, right, David? Sure, we were saved by receiving the Holy Spirit. But why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Why were we saved? So that in us, God's love may be manifested. The very glory of who our God is may be manifested by manifesting the very presence and person and ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. Correct? This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, manifesting Christ. Jesus said he'll testify about whom? About me. And we saw that the initial ministry of the Spirit, remember in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, he said, I will put my Spirit in you. I will take out the old, sinful, corrupt heart or nature. I'm going to remove that, and I'm going to replace it with a new nature. Remember the heart of flesh. You remember that. I will do this. I will put my Spirit in you. And so he will implant the very nature. I know I've said this before, but I just am so burdened that we make sure we get it so deeply within us. He is putting in us the very, very, very same nature of God's love that was in the Lord Jesus himself. The very same nature. We have the same love in us that Jesus had in him. We have the same spirit in us promoting and developing and manifesting and ministering God's love in us that Jesus himself, Pharaoh, had in him. The same, not just almost or something about it or a little bit, and we're getting more and more every day. Darlene, we have the same, the very same, Anton, Annie, the very same. Jamal, what? The very same love. Do we see that? I think it's critical. We must see it this way. And we must understand that we, each one of us, are living images or living realities of Jesus' personal love for the Father and for us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And so what is the result of it? Having now been given the nature of the new nature, the nature of Jesus' love. Do I have 2 Corinthians 5.17 there? And, you know, I want to get past, I want to get going this morning, but sometimes I feel blocked by doing that. It may just be me. It may be the Holy Spirit saying more than I wanted or knew to say. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of those verses that every one of us in this room, in this church, should know. If you do not know 2 Corinthians 5.17, learn it. You remember in classroom, how many parts of speech are there? How many? Say it again. I like you. What's your name again? How many parts of speech? Seven. Now, did the teacher, was the teacher so nasty and hateful, Rosa, she said, you must learn these seven parts of speech if you're going to pass. Didn't your teachers insist on you learning things? Why? You had to know certain things in order to function basically and maybe more, uh, uh, more, what word I want, in a better way. You have to know things. 
certain things are functionally basic. So what is sec- first what verse am I in, David? Saint Corinthians five seventeen. Somebody tell us. Don't read it. Somebody just tell us what it is. If you've memorized it, just speak it out now, somebody. I'll start. If any man or any person, what? If any person is where? In Christ. What does that mean? If you are a believer. First of all, is everybody in here a believer? Any unbelievers in here? Ronnie, you raise your hand. Any unbelievers in here? Okay. If any person is in Christ. Gordon, are you in Christ? Great. Charles? Yeah, oh, okay. Sometimes, you know, I have to ask questions, right, Wendy? If any person is in Christ, what? If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, they're synonymous. There's two sides of the same kern. That's how AJ says it, kern. Daniel, are you in Christ? Yes or no? Daniel, do you know your name? If any person is in Christ, he what? He what? Wait, wait, stop. He, what's the next word? Now, look, look. I'm trying not to yell this morning, Harold. He what? Get your grammar. Learn your grammar. What? He is. What is is? Is to the to be verb is a state of being. Remember that? I am, you are, they is. Well, Diane, it's they is in New Orleans. If you say they are who? What? They is. Y'all didn't know that. That's, that's English. You didn't learn that in Nigeria, did you? Is is a verb of being. You remember that, don't you? And so it is a statement of who or what exists now. It is not something you're going to be and you hope to be and you're trying to be. It is who you is. If any man, any person is in Christ, he what? Is. Now, what is we? What is we? Phyllis, what is we? A new what? Creature or creation. Regenesis. Regeneration. New. We're new. We're new. What does that mean? Whitewashed? It means that the old... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, any persons in Christ is what? New creation. What's the next part of the verse? Be what? Behold, look. Look at the result. Do you see what the apostle is telling us? Justin, look. Look, you're a new creation. Look. He's overcome by this. If any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, 
What does that mean, new creation? Behold, I'm going to tell you what the new creation means. Behold, I'm going to tell you what this means. What does it mean? Angel, what does it mean? Somebody say it. Come on. Old what? Old what? Things. The old nature. Good. The old nature. The old way we used to be. Old things have what? They've been washed away. We've been washed by renewal of regeneration by the Spirit. Remember Titus 3, 5. They've been washed away. They ain't there no more as to our nature. We're not talking about the flesh, the body. We're talking about our nature. Behold, all things what? Have become new. Do we see what God has done? All this and so much more, I'm assuming, is contained in the first seven words. Now, if we don't get this, if this isn't settled, deeply inculcated in our minds, theologically, as a base, as a foundation, we will not be able to enjoy and experience and express God's love. We're not the same as we used to be. We are now spiritually reconstituted. We have been taken out of Adam and the curse and the bondage. And we have been put into Christ totally spiritually reworked before we were born with the nature of self-justifying, self-absorbed, self-seeking love, corrupt. But God has, at the cross, forgiven us. And in the resurrection, Jesus imparted the Holy Spirit, remember, on the day of Pentecost, to come into our hearts, to cleanse away and wash away that spiritual corruption that had bound us for so many years and replace it with the very, very, very loving, same nature of the Lord Jesus himself. That's who we are. Therefore, knowing this, we can begin to understand and accept and cooperate with and appropriate in and by and with the Holy Spirit these descriptives that are listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But if you don't have the first, these two foundational truths, the Holy Spirit is the source, the power, and the purpose of God's love. You see, the Holy Spirit, come on, the Holy Spirit has not given us something. He's given us himself. He's given us himself. It's not something he's given. Hey, Celeste, take this. I'll give you something. Here, you take that. No. He's, God the Father has imparted himself to us by the Spirit. Himself. We have a divine person living in us now. An actual divine 
distinct person of the Trinity living in us. And this person is the same love of God, that Father is the love of God, that the Son is the love of God. Do we see this? And because of this, this is why the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul tells us, if any man or any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, what? Old things have been what? Tell me what? Passed away and behold, all things have been made new. New nature. New nature. I know this is only the third way, uh, two-thirds of the first page. Now, with these two truths in mind, we're going to use the analogy. And I wasn't going to do this. This is not something I was going to do. But it's something as I sit and I listen and I, you know, whatever, trying to hear the Lord. I felt the Lord give to him. We're going to use the analogy of gardening. And the foundational scripture I want to use from that, I think it's probably in your notes. John 15, verses 1, 2, and then 5. Is that in your notes? Okay. Jesus has been with the disciples in the upper room before the crucifixion. Remember, they've had communion, correct? They're leaving, and they're going through a garden. They're walking along, and he sees vines and, you know, whatever. he says, you know, what does he say? I am the the what? The vine, the true. We translate it the true vine. I am the vine, the true. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Okay. That's the analogy. He tells them, he uses the analogy of gardening. And Jesus, as you know, uses many analogies to describe it's the body of Christ. You know, you've heard of a lot of these. So I am the vine, the true, and my father's a vine dresser. Every branch that bears fruit, I'm skipping some of the words, getting down. Every branch that bears fruit. Do you have Galatians 22, uh, 522 right there? Every branch that bears fruit. Stop. What should you think of? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Every branch that bears what fruit? The fruit of God's love. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear what? More fruit. I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. What kind of fruit? Galatians 5.22 again. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, that's the fruit of evangelism and winning souls. No. I don't believe so. I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit because by bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then evangelism will occur because the world may know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And evangelism is the winning of the hearts and souls of people, the Holy Spirit using that by showing us them the love of God in us. Don't you know, Romans 5, 2, 4, that it is the love of God that brings you to repentance. So the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that glorifies God, is the love of God in us by the Spirit. I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me, I in him, he bears much fruit. What fruit? Galatians 5.22. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What do you mean, nothing? What do you mean, I, you can do nothing? What does that mean? Do you know how much I can do in life? Why does Jesus say you can do nothing? 
What is he saying again? Do nothing in relation to what? Bearing fruit or bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You remember John 19 and John 5, 19 and 30? He said, I do nothing. The Son does nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees. Remember that? Well, what is he talking about? What do you mean you can do nothing? Look at all the stuff you're doing. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, every beat of his heart was God's love being manifested. So what does he mean by apart from me you can do nothing? Beth, what does that mean? Without my spirit in you, you cannot bear any fruit that is pleasing to God. So John fifteen eight, what does he say? In this, this is the way that my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove or demonstrate to be my disciples. That's John fifteen eight. That's just a little way down the line there. I don't know if I had that in your verses. So the central activity of our lives is the activity of the Holy Spirit bearing the fruit of God's love in us and through us, which happens through our yielding and cooperation and walking with him. Do you notice I did not put us first the most important thing we need to do is to love one another. No, I don't know. No, I don't say it that way. I don't like that. I understand what it means, but I want to make sure we get it correctly. Because if I put I as the subject, I have to carry the burden, and I can't. The central work that glorifies God in us is the very glory of the love of God being manifested in and through us by his own Holy Spirit with which we then cooperate and walk in, etc., correct? This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what glorifies God. In this church, we talk a lot about the glory of God. Well, you want to see the glory of God? This is the glory of God in this room being manifested in us First of all, by the presence of God's life and God's person, the Holy Spirit, the love of God in us. And secondly, by the demonstration of that love in us as we love one another. So Jesus' analogy of the garden, listen to these two verses in Isaiah 5, 7. The Lord tells his people, you are my vineyard, the garden of my delight, of his delight. 61, 3 of Isaiah, we are the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I think we used to sing that. We used to sing a lot of these songs. So we are the, this is the Father's garden. Do you have Genesis 2, 8 and 9 in there? The garden. Jesus is in a garden. We're talking about gardening here. Where did that analogy or that reality begin? It began in Genesis. And he placed the man where? The man was created outside of the garden. Do you remember this? And then when he had formed the man and breathed in him life, remember, then he did what? Stuck him where? Took him out of the formless area, and he put him into the garden. God planted Adam and Eve into his garden. So they would be the planting of the Lord that would manifest the glory of God. Therefore, Genesis 126, that's what Genesis 126 is all about. Don't you just love Genesis? No, I'm not going to ask that question, A.J., In this garden, 
the Father is the vine dresser who prunes us so that we may bear more fruit for the glory of Father, for the Father's glory. Do you see what's happening here? You see what Jesus is telling us in John 15? And we're going to see the applicability of this in Galatians 5. Now, what is pruning? Do you have this, do you have this definition down there? Now, look at it. Pruning is the, now, is that in bold letters or not in yours? Okay. Pruning is the, underline this, selective removal. Underline that. You see, everybody needs to come to class with a pen. <laughs> Take notes, class. Pruning is the selective removal of certain branches of a plant or tree. That includes the, underline these two words, targeted removal of what? Diseased, damaged, non-productive, unstructural parts. It is the de-weeding, underline that, the de-weeding of the serol for the purpose of healthy and greater fruit. Now, those of you not, don't worry about that word serol. We're from New Orleans. That's how we speak here. Oh, so selective removal, targeted removal, de-weeding of anything in us or in the soil of our hearts. Of what? Of anything in us that is not of and about and from God's love. It all has to do with the manifestation of the love of God. And so pruning has to do not with my activities. That's not the heart of a prune that will, you know, you, you chop something off a bush. I don't know much about it. And, you know, you, you chop a branch off. Well, why did you chop the branch off? Because you didn't like the branch. Well, that might be, but it's something deeper in that, isn't it? What is the deeper part? So that the intention and the nature of the flower, uh, uh, the plant, may be able to be what? Grown. Isn't that why we prune? I don't prune, but isn't that why people prune? You cut this thing off and that thing because you want greater growth. And so pruning has to do with God's work of tending our hearts by the Spirit and looking at us and watching us. as he cultivates, as he removes, as he waters, as he does whatever he does, all in relation to one issue, his love being manifested. Getting rid of anything and everything that is not of or is contrary to his love, that is of my love, in order to replace my activity. Let's call it this way, and I'll use it this way next week. The weeds of the garden are my love. The weeds of the garden are my ways. The weeds of the garden are my attitudes, my desires, my whatever. And so he's removing the weeds in our garden. He's calling, we're calling that what? Pruning. Do we see that? And I said what has nothing to do with activities. 
it doesn't have anything to do with activities as the heart of the matter because these weeds of our love will produce an activity that doesn't manifest the love of God. And so he removes those and replaces them with the plants of his own grace, the flowers of his grace, removing the stuff out of our garden and planting his stuff in it. And we'll talk about the soil next week because we have now the soil of God's love. And he does that. So when he does that work, then, then the activities of the love of God may begin to be manifested and flourishing. He has to deal with the heart that produces the whatever activity. Not the activity. The activity is a fruit of something, is a fruit of the root, correct? So he must deal with the root that produces the fruit. That's the pruning process that God uses. Or maybe specific to the Holy Spirit. Because, well, wait, my father's a vine dresser. Yes, but you see, the father owns the land. But the father has sent the Holy Spirit into this land of our hearts as his divine gardener to do the work. Just like the father sent the son into the world as his divine agent to redeem his people. Correct? So we see that happening. All of it <clears throat> is under the authority and under the direction of God the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is the Father's gardener, and I'll stop here, who prunes us, having replaced our corrupted nature. Remember, we have a new soil. We have a new soil. And in this soil, the plants of God will grow. But they won't grow automatically. They grow as the Holy Spirit begins to produce the fruit of the love of God, which is this soil. But in this soil, we still live in a body that is coming up with all kinds of weeds, and the Holy Spirit is removing that stuff from us. Now, the analogy isn't perfect, but no human or earthly analogy is perfect, but I think you get the picture. And so the Holy Spirit, the, uh, he's, the Holy Spirit is God's gardener who's pruning us, re, having replaced our corrupt nature with the nature of Jesus. And so this pruning process is described in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'll stop with this. Therefore, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God. Do you have this in your? Present your bodies. There it is. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your ser spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who does that work? Holy Spirit, so that you may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the will of God? That the love of God may be manifested in us, specifically that love that was manifested in the Son of God, in the incarnation, and especially at the cross, right? So next week, we'll talk about the, the, the facets of God's love as in Galatians 5.22, and we'll begin with joy and peace which the Holy Spirit begins with in this passage. Thank you.